Okay, the computer says we are now live on uh, Facebook and on Vimeo, no, on, on Vimeo and on YouTube. Um, this is the reinventing, Guy Aitchison's reinventing the tattoo community. And we're excited for today's show. It is called Bridging the Gap. And we have Kyle, who is an apprentice hopeful, who is going to be interviewing Good Time Charlie. So this is going to be pretty fun to cross the generations. So this is, like I was saying before, this is the uh, Guy H. Sins Reinventing the Tattoo Community. Please let us know in the chat room where you're beaming in from so that we know that it's working. If you know any tattoo collectors or tattoo artists that would be interested in the show, then definitely give them a tag and nearly every tattooer should be interested in this show. Um, so Guy Chisholm's community is where tattooers, apprentices, collectors, and the curious are all encouraged to join into these live streams, to check out our real world events, basically to share with each other, to inspire each other, and ultimately create better art and tattoos together. Uh, we're beaming out nearly every day on the network, and we, with your help, it's, a, it's pretty much a, a network of quality tattoo shows uh, like, like we would want to see on the TV. Um, okay. So I talked already about the YouTube and the Facebook. We are also in the Apple podcast. And after today's episode, we're definitely going to start uh, updating that again. We, uh, we were done with the first season. Now we're, we're ready to gear up for the next one. But you could find that on Spotify and the Apple and Amazon, all the places where you would find podcasts, you'll find audio versions of this. Um, you also can find the Reinventing the Tattoo app in either of the app stores, but you really always can find the latest information at www.reinventingthetattoo.com. Um, okay. Um, as I said, if, you were, if you're just joining or you just joined and you missed my previous plug, let us know where you're beaming in from in the chat room and then share this around before we get started. It'll be about a minute or two, and then we're going to start the interview with Good Time Charlie. Um, okay, so... Yeah, we have so many of these shows, we are actually beaming them out 24-7. Uh, if you go to reinventing247.com, then you'll have, uh, I believe, five channels running at any given time, including one that's always in Spanish, which is pretty cool. We have uh, art jams and whatnot, um, painting classes, all sorts of interviews like this. Um, so uh, other things that we have on the, the Reinventing 24-7 or on these weekly ch uh, shows are Reinventing Drawing Groups. So let's see, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we have the Reinventing Drawing Group live with Jason Leeser at, oh shit, this is, I got to change my script here. It's uh, not 9 p.m. weekly on Sundays. We used to do the Tattoo Weekly on Sunday nights. We are now doing the Tattoo Weekly uh, on Mondays at 11 o'clock. We have the early bird drawing groups Monday morning at 9 a.m. So we get to start off wicked early. These times are all Eastern standard. Uh, let's see, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. There's a drawing group with Ricardo Stervenat. Wednesdays at 12 noon is the Tattoo Now show that, uh, that I host. Thursdays at 10 a.m. There's a subscribers uh, drawing group with Kier, where uh, all skill levels are encouraged, including uh, apprentices. And then Thursdays at noon for well over a year now, has been the Tattoo Collecting Podcast with Fawn Baker and Jordan Rookus and a variety of tattoo collecting characters, uh, often tattoo artists, but often just uh, collectors. It's pretty awesome. Uh, let's see what we've got coming up is, uh, let's see, next, next on the list before we get started are a couple ways to support the, uh, the show here. Uh, we have real world events coming up next year, depending on how you know the health concerns are, but this is what the schedule we have for 2020. Two, I think, 2022, 2020, 2022. February 5th and 6th will be uh, Reinventing Tattoo Live 
from Red Tree uh, slash True Tubes in Columbus, Ohio. There's going to be art jam seminars. We have more info coming. Uh, let's see, Jesse Smith is going to be there, Nick Mitchell, uh, Julian Marie. There's a, a couple other artists uh, that are confirming as we speak. There'll be a little bit of tattooing, a little bit of teaching, uh, we're gonna, you know, nice little small event there at the warehouse. Um, okay, uh, April 11th to the 14th is the first Inspiring Dot Tours. It's happening in New Hampshire. Sean Barber and Nick Baxter are the mentors. Uh, it filled up quick. Uh, almost less than two days. It was like 40, it was like 50 hours, 52 hours, and the spots filled up. Uh, there's only five, five to 10 for each of these tours. So um, if you if you go straight to inspiring.tours, that's the actual website. It's not a .com, it's a .tours. Then you can sign up for the waiting list. I'm thinking about maybe scheduling one in New Mexico in March. If you're interested in doing something with a cool bodysuit layout uh, uh three-day intensive in uh in new mexico maybe anyways that's just a maybe just a pipe dream but anyways inspiring debt tours get on the wait list may 20th to 22nd is hill city columbus july 8th to the 10th is the rock river tattoo art expo uh outside of columbus ohio excuse me the rock river art expo is outside of chicago illinois hell cities in columbus uh, July 29th to the 31st, Rubber City Tattoo Invitational in Akron, Ohio, hosted by Tony Urbanic, a great machine builder. And then uh, I'm hosting a show in October 20th to the 23rd. Currently, the Paradise Tattoo Gathering in all its glory, but maybe we just do a BYOB. It is really tough to tell what we're doing for events these days in real life, which leads us to all the things that we're doing virtually. Um, okay. Thanks for hanging in there, everybody. One last chance to, to, to share this around before we get started. Thank you to our sponsors. We have Reinventing. If you go to www.reinventingthetattoo, Guy Aitchison has his course, and as well as Monday exercises. It's like kind of going to the art dojo every week on Mondays at nine o'clock. Artists uh, all get together with Guy. They go over exercises and, or in groups of exercises. They get critiqued. And then they'll zoom in. So you can zoom in with Guy if you want to. A lot of tattoo shops are starting to do this together. And we do have shop packages. So reinventingthetattoo.com. Let's see. Interstate Inc. LA. They are a, a tattoo studio out in Los Angeles area. Uh, you might know Church. He does some really awesome realistic uh, sneakers. The shop is all clean and sober and very supportive of that lifestyle. So if you are looking to be in a place that's supportive of a, of a clean and sober lifestyle, check it out uh, in LA. They have all sorts of support out there for you or for your friends that need it. At Interstate Inc. LA, uh, Raw Pigments, rawpigments.co is an ink company. You can uh, get samples. Actually, if you go to reinventing247.com and then scroll down, if you type in your uh, tattoo studio address and information, then you can get uh, samples from Raw Pigments. It's awesome. And then you don't even have to listen to us talk about it. You just try it out. WorldTattooEvents.com is the largest, most comprehensive resource for tattoo events that exists. And I joke, I say this because 10 years ago, I tried to copy it. And after a day and a half, I was like, there's no way I can keep up. Uh, Alex is amazing. He has all of the right information. And these days, yeah, you definitely want to keep up on it. Uh, tattoo Now, that is my website development and CRM, all sorts of computer techie stuff. Uh, yeah, actually, if you go to tattoonow.com slash services, I have the full menu there of everything. Definitely taking on new clients. And then last but not least, and in fact, for this first, we talked about him a little bit. Guy Aitchison is the founder of Reinventing. He helps make all of this happen. And you should head straight to guyaitchison.com. Check out uh, his artwork, his prints for sale. He's got some machines. He's got the Biomech Encyclopedia. You can still actually buy the Biomech Encyclopedia um, in time. To, uh, to ship it for the holidays today. It would be like the last day. So anyways, um, that 
I believe is what we've got going. Uh, definitely want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, this is going to be a great show with Kyle hosting the Bridging the Gap. Um, if you're interested in sponsoring or hosting, then let us know. Uh, management at reinventingthetattoo.com and uh, 413-585-9134. Okay. Welcome, Kyle, and uh, and good time, Charlie. This is exciting. I'm very uh, happy to, to get this series started. So um, basically, I'm just going to I'm going to pass it off to Kyle. Kyle, thanks for uh, for jumping in, and for all of the uh, people that are shy or or, or uh, worried about getting out there. Kyle is an apprentice hopeful, and this is one of his very first interviews with uh, with Good Time Charlie. So I'm going to hop out here, take it away, uh, Kyle. All right, great. Thanks, Gabe. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm doing great, thanks. Hope you are. Yes, I am as well. Yes. Um, so my big thing here is just, you know, I want to hear about your stories and, you know, how you got your start and, you know, just kind of things that you could share with other people who are looking to start off their oh, tattoo oh, journey. Sorry. Hey, sorry, Kyle. Uh, I had my uh, my camera uh, spotlighted, so you'll just have to restart that intro uh, without without me being there on the on the screen. OK. Are we good now? Yeah, I think. OK. All right. Yeah, well. The whole point of this year is just to kind of hear about your stories about, you know, when you started doing tattooing and, you know, the ways that you got through it and what you can share with um, the newer generation of people trying to get into it. Well, for myself, I was only exposed to tattoos uh, of the homemade style, hand folk tattoos. Uh, where I lived, it was... Uh, against a lot of tattoo in the city limits. And uh, there was no, you couldn't get licensed there. And uh, so there was nobody to learn from professionally at all. But um, I figured that my, my great grandmother was a, a, a real uh, well-known seamstress in town and she did work for all the rich people around. So she had she had every kind of needle you could think of. And because uh, she did everything from, you know, fine lace to drapes. And so she she had everything. So anyway, I used to get needles from her and and um, and I would use uh, a single pretty bold needle. And uh, but for multiple for cover ups and so forth. Uh, to block something out. I, I had multiple needles on popsicle sticks. And so uh, that's how I did for almost five years out of my car. I started when I was 15 years old. Uh, I had my third car by then. I, was, I got my first one when I was 12 years old. And I lived in Texas where nobody cared, you know, about a license. So Anyway, I had my third car, a 46 Chevy, uh, when I was 15, and that's what I started tattooing out of. And I and I, I drew, my, all my headliner was filled up with uh, drawings, you know, guys would point at things and say, I like that kind of cross or that kind of a banner and so forth. And so, and then I also had uh, three scrapbooks that were, uh, composition books that I had drawings in that people could choose from different kinds of crowns and, and uh, 
various things that they would like, you know, and, uh, but I could draw anything. And so I, that's how I started five years, uh, working out of my car before I came to California. And, uh, when I got here, uh, I got tattooed in the Navy. Uh, I had joined the Navy, but they kicked me out pretty quick after eight months. But while I was in there, I tattooed 13 tattoos on one guy behind wow. the locker, behind the lockers on Sunday and <laughs> while I was in boot camp and, uh, and, and among that, among others as well. But, um, so anyway, I had a, a, just a knack for tattooing. And, and, uh, when I got to California, I was, uh, very dismayed at what I was just, uh, even though I got tattooed uh, at a few places in San Diego, uh, my, my first tattoo, professional tattoo, was by Tahiti Felix Lynch in uh, San Diego, and was an anchor, which I still have. And um, but I was tattooed by uh, various individuals around there, including Painless Nell and her sister, who uh, I guess it was her cousin or sister that had a wooden leg, and uh, they. One of them outlined me, and the other one's shaded, shaded it in. So it was a bucket <laughs> bucket shop, you know, where you got tattooed with a uh, a bucket full of Listerine water with a, a, the same sponge rubbed you down, and the same straight razor shaved you, and so forth. And so anyway, I, I was I, even though I got a few tattoos in San Diego. I still was kind of just uh, uh, realized that they they traced everything. They just they used stencils, and I didn't know anything about stencils. So that was an amazing thing to me that they had to had to use those. And I thought, well, if they can't draw, why are they tattooing? I don't understand that. And so it was a new world for me. And I thought they were quite carny about it as well. Uh, you know, kind of treated it pretty, uh, oh, I don't know, kind of a like a flim flam man kind of a deal where they just uh, give you the bums rush, you know, give you the max. Uh, I mean, take, they take it, you know, they like the pirate mentality, you know, right. give all, you know, take all you can and give nothing back, you know. And so uh, it was real. It was just seemed to me like it was a flim flam kind of a profession to some degree. I thought, well, if they can't draw and they have this real carny attitude. I mean, I saw this one gal put a virgin on a guy's back and, and giggle about making it cross-eyed, you know. And I thought, well, that's just bullshit right there. I want to do people right, you know. I don't. This ain't no joke, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I, wa I wanted to, to give people good art. And I didn't ever understand that mentality of just getting over on people. So that was a turnoff for me as well. But then as what attracted me to the industry, I think, was just the, the, the impact that Flash made. Just seeing all these different designs from different minds that drew these things. And, 
and, and so the flash had an impact on me, even though I, I didn't ever really care about flash. In fact, the only professional commercial flash I ever made for sale to anybody was uh, my big sheet, the something for everybody. And, uh, and the only reason I did that was because back in the day, if you drew flash, uh, people would just bootleg it immediately and, and start, you know, selling it to other people. And so I thought, well, that's just bullshit. They're not going to ever bootleg my design, my, my flash. This is the only contribution I'm going to make to the industry for commercial flashing. If they, if, if they, you know, can top this, well, that'll be a quite the task. But anyway, um, uh, so I, like I said, it was hard for me to even kind of get serious about professional tattooing uh, because of what they, they use color. And I went, even though I got a few with color to begin with, I regretted it because later on when I would ask people if they wanted, how they wanted it in color or black. And they say, oh, color, of course. And I go, well, color doesn't make a tattoo any better. <laughs> yeah. And they'd say, well, well, you've got color. And I go, yeah, and I totally regret it, too, because people say that. Well, you've got color. And I said, yeah, but I wouldn't have it if I, if, if I could start over again for that very reason. Because people mistakenly believe that it's not good art without color. And I said, to me, it, tattoos in black are better for three different reasons. And first, they heal faster. Secondly, they uh, they have that uh, lasting power. Uh, they're always going to be there. And uh, there's, uh, well, there's, besides the healing and the lasting power, the, uh, there's, well, there's a third reason. Oh, they're usually cheaper. Uh, not in every case, though. But so there's three good reasons right there, I right. think, uh, to get to have them in black. And so um, anyway, that's just another thing that, in my my professional opinion, uh, makes a tattoo better from from my own personal standpoint. You know, I just was more attracted to the black. And the various tones that uh, you could create uh, with, uh, you know, the proper shading and so forth. So anyway, um, I eventually went to the pike and, and I was determined to get more answers because in spite of the fact that I had been tattooed by many different tattoo individuals uh, at the pike and in San Diego, uh, in Long Beach at the Pike, I was tattooed by Bert Graham and Fred Thorson and uh, Don Nolan and Bob Heyman and Lou Lewis. And there was a, quite a few different individuals that tattooed me there. And But in spite of the fact that I got tattooed multiple times, they would never really share with me any of the things I wanted to know. And uh, for instance, I, I just couldn't believe that some of these guys did, 
used it strictly as a hobby. I thought, well, is this a hobby or I'm not going to stay here all weekend with binoculars and watch these guys to see how, if this is a full-time job or if it's a part-time thing or a seasonal thing or, or, you know, uh, and so every time I'd start getting kind of personal about that, they'd all just give me the cold shoulder. So nobody would share anything with you and, uh, except a, a good tattoo, maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I went to the bike determined to get answers. And, uh, when I walked in one shop, I asked this guy something and he, he said, well, who wants to know? And I said, I do. And he says, and why, why are you interested? And I says, well, I know how to tattoo, but nobody wants to tell me anything about the, uh, you know, making a living off of this, you know? And so, um, because I, I tattooed, but I, I still tattooed locally, but it was all, I still tattooed by hand. Right. And so, uh, around Los Angeles there. And so, um, so I told the guy, I said, I know how to tattoo, but nobody will give me the, uh, straight answers. So this guy came out of the back room, Jimbo Laporte. And he said, um, he was half owner of that shop. West Coast Tattoo on the Pike in Long Beach. And he said, so you know how to tattoo, huh? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you take some skin down to 5th and Main on Tuesday night at 5 o'clock and we'll see what you got. So I took one of my friends that I tattooed, him and his brother, several times. I said, hey, man, those guys want to see what I can do with machines downtown. And so we went down there and when we walked walked in the shop, the um, the only guy in the building was Zeke Owen, and uh, and he said, "Hey man, you must be Charlie. They said you were coming." And I go, "Yeah." He said, "Well, here's uh, the setup, and I'm going to go get a hamburger and a cup of coffee, and I'll be back." And I said, "Okay." So I did some mushrooms on my friend's leg, and and I said, "Wow," but. I don't know if you want any of this color or not. He said, oh, well, yeah, I'll take some. So I put some color on there. And uh, I think I did the name, uh, the words, I'm sure, uh, Ongo Sagrados, Sacred Mushrooms, and uh, in Spanish. Anyway, I cleaned him up, and just then Zeke walked back in, and he said, wow, you guys been tattooing for 10 years? Don't tattoo like that even. And <laughs> Uh, he says, I knew you had it when you walked into the door. And I go, really? And he said, yeah. And you're the first guy I've ever let use my, use my machines. And so I thought, wow, that, that's quite something. And so from then on, that I was in the professional world of tattoos. And that was in Skid Row in Los Angeles at 5th and Main. And I was there several months. And then they transferred me back to the bike where I had uh, originally went, uh, and they had sent me downtown. So, so I worked there several years and uh, decided that, um, well, one thing I, I went there because Zeke had told me, he says, it's obvious, you know, how to tattoo man, but he says, and, and the fact that you're self-taught is pretty amazing. He says, but he says, but you would do well, you would do yourself as, a service to work with other people 
for a couple of years or something because I told him, I said, if I can, once I figure this, these uh, machines out, I'm going to open my own, my own place. And he said, well, you want to work with other people for a little bit to just pick up some technical tips from them and things you can learn from others. And I said, okay, I'll do that. So, so that's why I stayed there at the pike for a couple of years or a little more actually, but I, I knew I was going to East Los Angeles even then because um, I realized that that was tattoo heaven as far as I was concerned because of the Mexican community. And, and I knew, uh, and I was very familiar with all the subject matter because I'm married to a Chicana born in East LA and, uh, and lived around there, hung around there. Uh, for several years, and so I, I was hip to the Chicano lowrider lifestyle, and knew that that would, that would be a, a good place to, to start. And then, because they like the penitentiary style tattooing, with the thin lines and so forth, I thought, well, that's you got to give them what the haircut they want, really, no matter mm -hmm. what shop you're in, you know. And uh, so when they said. Well, can you guys do the real fine lines? And, and uh, we said, well, yeah. And so I, I figured that out real quick, uh, how to convert a three into a, a single by just pulling one, one needle out further and letting the other two be the support for that fine little thing that would wiggle around on its own on a needle bar. But so we, that's what I did with the uh, number 12 needles and, uh, and so right away, who knew it would become a worldwide phenomenon, you know, the fine line black and gray tattooing, but, but it did. And, um, but after, uh, after a couple of years, I started just using a single number 10 on the needle bar because it would support itself quite well and just a little bit thicker line but still a, a nice clean thin line so i used a number 10 colonial needle till i retired as a single and uh so in in los angeles there that's what we did we just catered to the uh low rider lifestyle and uh and that was to me my i guess uh, what I had been looking for, I guess, since I was a kid, you know, was the, of course, I was tattooing Mexicans when I was a kid, even, and, and, uh, and I even, at times, I even think in Spanish, because I've just been around Mexicans most of my life, to some degree, and um, so, anyway, uh, East Los Angeles was, for me, uh, I guess my dream come true, you know, but, uh, but after a, after a couple or three years of having the shop there, I decided that uh, I wanted to cross culture my kids and move back to Kansas where I was, my roots were. And, uh, and I, I hadn't been there since I was 20 years old. So I, I did go back there for 10 years and pioneered that whole area because nobody tattooed around there that because it was illegal right so i just went to the county and opened up and 
first I consulted the state attorney even and went on down to the county level and and I thought, well, I'll just stay outside of Wichita. Who cares? You know, pretty soon I had them coming from all over Kansas and Oklahoma and all the surrounding places because it was illegal elsewhere. So I did quite well there too. But then I came back to California because my wife wanted to uh, move to back here because her friend had moved here. And so I, I said, well, you followed me around wherever I wanted to go. So you pick, that's okay with me. And so we came to Modesto where we are now. I've been here 33 years, but uh, uh, I just clo officially closed my shop almost two years ago in February, April, May. And uh, I, uh, I have no regrets uh, because I, pioneered this whole valley when I came here uh, you had to drive a hundred miles any direction to get a professional tattoo and uh, so now there's there's 80 different tattoo operations surrounding me in my own community yeah so everybody's a tattooer now uh, it seemed like the whole world is not satisfied liking tattoos or wearing tattoos they all want to put them on. And uh, so I thought, well, what am I even doing here, you know, anymore? If, if everybody, everywhere you look, they're all tattooers. Well, I guess I've just outlived the whole, the whole thing. Uh, I don't even quite understand the, the sensation of, you know, it being, I, I, I love them and liked applying them, designing them, wearing them, and all that. But I don't understand that the whole world can be a tattooer. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, um, I'm glad I was in it when I was in it, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I actually pioneered three areas of this country in the process, not realizing what an impact I would have on the industry because I was just a kid that loved tattoos, you know, right. as, as I guess everyone that is now entering the business is, you know, as well, they must love them or, uh, if they go to that degree, but, but there's plenty of people in the business that should not be in the business, in yeah. my opinion, that are in it for all the wrong reasons. And, and have no, uh, don't have the right scruples or morals or ethics even to be in it. Right, exactly. So oh, that's a whole that's a whole subject in and of itself is the ethics and the morals in, in this business uh, because it's not you know uh, to me it was never about skinning another cat you know uh, it was about giving them a reason to come back. Because I, I think if if you treat them right, then they might feed you for a lifetime. You know? Yeah, uh, exactly. That that the, even even these guys that have the opinion, oh, you can have that one, or I'm not. Uh, who cares about that little cartoon or something? Well, that's that guy's first. That's his beginning. And if you treat him right, and he loves it, and um, like I said. He might, he might support you for 30 years. 
which I've seen happen to me. So I've had individuals that have supported me for 30 years uh, just because of being nice to them, and, you know, putting on a slick tattoo. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know how, uh, how to elaborate beyond very much on, on my own personal growth. You know, I mean, I guess, I guess I get, did grow through the years, obviously. Um, but I can't really, it's like watching grass grow or watching paint dry. I, I can't, you know, it, it was just developed over time. Right. Exactly. So, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I'm still thankful that I'm, I'm part of it, but you know, I spoke recently to a group of 70 guys, tattooers in Spokane, Washington. And, and, uh, and I was discussing the fact that, that, you know, the good book says we're, we're commanded to love each other. And, and, uh, and here was a group of 70 tattooers all from the same community that had never spoken to each other, a lot of them, and, and had nothing but bad things to say about each other, probably, or heard rumors or talked smack on them, you know. And here they were all together in one room. And I was telling them about that, you know, that, um, you know, I remember when I used to think, or back in the day, when, when anybody walked in your shop and they'd get mad dog by everybody in there that had, if you had full arm tattoos, and they thought you were just checking them out to open it, you know, checking out your, your operation so they could see what, what was possible. And, and uh, so that was back in the, back in the day, it was always like that. And uh, they just stare each other down, you know, wonder, right, yeah. Stealing well, the, stealing the business from them. Yeah. And so, uh, but I says, you know, I'm commanded to love them all, but I, I don't necessarily like them all, but I, I bear none of them ill will, that's for sure. And so when it was all over, there was no arguments or fights or anything. And it turned out just great with all the camaraderie and so forth in the community. And so um, that's part of it as well is, uh, I realized that at that point we had that many tattooers from one town all together and they were all respectful of each other. I thought, well, this is total evidence that there's, I guess there's not, there's not such a thing as too many tattooers because obviously they were all making a living and they're all, uh, doing something that's involved in the current day activities for sure, uh, developing and, uh, uh, you know, watching the progress or, or deep progress, some might think in the, in the industry. But uh, I said, so it's obvious to me that there's enough to go around. I mean, I used to think, how can we ever be, everybody be tattooers? We're just trading money with each other. I mean, what's that all about, you know? But I realize now that there is enough to go around uh, because there's millions of recipients and and obviously uh, 
probably a few hundred thousand tattooers, maybe, or multiple thousands for sure. Yeah. And, uh, well, my assistant told me that just in San Diego County, I mean, uh, San Diego City alone, there are 128 shops. Oh, wow. And so that's just in one com- within the city limits. So there's all kinds of suburbs that have them too as well. So yeah. it's, it's just everywhere you go, it's just uh, that way anymore. And I remember laughing. Uh, I've got a, a grandson that's now 26 years old. And uh, no, 28 years old, I guess. No, let's see. Well, he's in his 20s, let's say, for sure. And uh, and when he was a baby, me and my wife and my daughter were going cross-country in a car. And, uh, and we were in the middle of Ohio in corn country, where, or Iowa, I guess. Uh, but it was just nothing but cornfields forever, mile after mile after mile, and uh, or wheat, and uh, and and so I told my my family there. I says, you know, uh, we better stop somewhere and get something to eat before we go much farther because we don't know how late anything's going to be open. And so well, I said, oh, there's a glow down the road there. It looks like there might be a little town there. So. Uh, my my daughter says, I'm going to look to the tattoo and body piercing shop. And I said, are you kidding me? And, uh, and sure enough, there was one intersection in town and there was a tattoo and body piercing shop in there. And right in the middle, I mean, we were, there was nothing for, no development for miles anyway. Right. And so we laughed about it. And I said, my God, if I can see where this is going if we've got them out in the middle of cornfields, you know, that uh, you miles from any civilization. Well, I can see where this is all headed. And right, exactly. Look what happened. Well, in fact, I'll, 35 years ago, before I came to Modesto, I wouldn't even hire my own cousin's kid in Kansas because. And he, even though he was a freak on tattoos, I said, no, there's too many on the bus already. And this is 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and he says, what do you mean? I said, the bus is full. We don't need any more tattooers. Because at that day, at that point in time, I could look at your arms and tell you where you were from and who did your tattoos. Right. Because there were so few tattooers in America that you just recognize all the styles. And uh, anyway, well, now it's no longer a bus. It's a never-ending train. They just keep adding more cars to it. And uh, so so I, I said, if, I told him, I said, if this continues, I said, just think about this. I said, there's probably only, that I know of, maybe 300 or maybe 350 professional tattooers in all of America and uh, a dozen here and a dozen there in the big cities, you know? And I said, so just think if every one of us hired somebody today that would double the population of tattooers and somebody would be missing hamburgers eventually. 
And uh, and I says, so, but if they, if it does continue, then someday we'll all be flipping burgers or tattooing. And look at what happened exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it came to pass. I could see it 35 years ago. And, and now it's just, look, <laughs> look at it. It's like a whole They're new world. This is tattooing. So anyway, uh, there's not, not not too much I can say, I guess, other than the fact that <clears throat> I've seen it. I've seen it all from, uh, you know, going to deciding whether you like coils or whether you like uh, or, or, you know, if you like the, well, so many types of machines anymore. Uh, now they've got cordless, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's been so much development between rotaries and coils and all the technology <coughs> that I think every day different people enter the business and they've all got different ideas about how to improve on something or make it better or different or whatever. And so you'll never stop all that uh, ingenuity because that's, that's what attracts people to this business also, I think, is, uh, you know, the challenges of uh, something so simple as a, a doorbell being made into, a, you know, yeah. a, a piece of artistic equipment, you know. And so I think that's pretty, uh, that'll never probably stop. I mean, I don't know where you go from rotaries with no, no cord, to, you know. Yeah, it's uh, definitely interesting to see what will happen next. But, you know, people quite often, because I was never, I was never the machinist in the business. I, I just wanted to put good art on people. And if it made noise, I'd put, I'd put a good tattoo on with it, you know. And so I never did, was impressed with all the different technological advances, even though guys would stop me at conventions and say, Charlie, I want to show you this. And they'd lead me over and show me something with, all kinds of things that would tell different, would read all the tension and so forth. And, and I, I thought, I don't give a crap about any of that. You know, uh, it, it, I, I'm glad it works for you, but that's not my thing, man. I'm just into the art, you know? And, uh, and uh, of course I cared about having a, a machine that would run, but if, if it did run, I didn't care about all this individual features involved you know and so i was never very impressed with the the machinery when i started off so simple a process that it was a non-fail right thing, you know uh anyway so uh the machine aspect of tattooing uh there's guys obviously that make a living doing nothing but building machines and uh and more power to them if that's their forte i guess you know i mean you, you gotta have uh a dependable machine and some of them think theirs is better than others so more power to them i guess right and so uh 
am I, I'm just doing all the talking here. I don't know why you, do you, do you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've got a couple questions for you still as well. Um, okay. You know, cause you've been, you know, you've been all over the U S you know, bringing the tattooing to all different areas. You know, what was like probably one of was one of the hardest things that you've had to go through, you know, to make it, to make it happen and to did what you did. Uh, well, uh, I'm not real sure there was anything hard about, about any of it, uh, except getting somebody to give me a break, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was, that was it because like I went through it there with you, it was, nobody wanted to share anything about, about the business. Right. And, uh, so to me, that was the hardest thing, just breaking that breaking through that that wall of silence so you know some guys would i did learn from one guy he said yeah i spend summers in hawaii and and winters over here uh in long beach and uh or summers in long beach and winters in hawaii i guess it was but you know that's all he would tell me he he lived in two different spots and so forth. And so, I, but I, you know, I, uh, I, I'd say that was the hardest thing just to get information period. Mm -hmm. And so now anymore, it's not a challenge for any anybody wants to enter tattooing. There's no secrets, no more. There's nothing that you even have to learn, you know, like we had to make our own needles Right, and, right. Uh, you know, do your own uh, machine work, uh, if there was any. Uh, well, you were, you were your own creator in many different ways because you, you had to, uh, well, I knew guys that worked for me that they would just designate a whole day to soldering needles. They would, they would designate a certain day of the week and that's all they would do for hours, you know, but they would build up enough to last for quite a while. And, uh, and so that was just a, another, and then washing tubes. We had metal tubes in those days. And so you had to scrub tubes. And if you had a big stockpile of them, that was a backbreaking job, standing at the sink and washing these things. You know, uh, so anymore, all of that has changed now. There is none of that. It's a, everything's throwaway. So there's no, no sterilization anymore, for God's sake, because everything is disposable. So, right. you know, we had to designate time, lots of time to scrubbing tubes and soldering needles and, and uh, sterilization, packaging things up and, Oh, you know, it was, it's a whole different world now. You guys don't realize just how, what a piece of cake it is. It's, I think it's all, uh, well, there's no, there's no true apprenticeships in the real sense of the word, in my opinion, because anybody can be self-taught now and make it. You can, anybody can buy equipment. Anybody can learn through videos, books, et cetera, or probably their neighbor about tattooing you know uh anybody that's interested in it it's all just laid out for you a big fat welcome mat you know 
Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of the basic techniques are all out there. I think a lot of it though is like, you know, these days it's like learning the business of it and kind of that side of it. That's like, that's the stuff that you can't necessarily easily get. Yeah, I'll comment on that. I remember uh, Dennis Wire told me, he says, when he apprenticed with uh, Cliff Raven, he said, I didn't learn a damn thing about tattooing. But what I learned from that man was how to be a businessman. And so, see, there you go. That, that A lot of tattooers fail in that respect. They're not good managers or they're not, uh, they don't even know how to even price things sensibly you know yeah because if you can't price it out right you know then how are you going to make a living off of it yeah so it's it's really a that is part of it just and that goes back to learning uh you'll learn something from everybody you work with like zeke told me you know and so just like dennis says you know i didn't learn nothing about tattooing but i learned how to be a businessman how to make tattooing a business so there you go. You're going to learn from anybody you're exposed to because iron sharpens iron. And there you go. It's a true saying. Y'all right. benefit from each other's presence and knowledge and education, etc. Yeah. Um, so I also know that you um, you had an apprentice for a while as well. Um, Jack, right? Jack. Yeah. Lee? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, he, uh, when I worked at the Pike, I encountered him. Uh, him and his friend came in, and uh, Jack had drawn a design on this guy's arm, a little Nazi lowrider. Uh, and uh, it was just an outline with a ballpoint pen. And they said, Can you, will you tattoo this? And I said, why not? And they said, what, what, and will you just do it in black? And I go, yeah, because that, that's even better. And they go, they looked at each other and smiled. And they said, well, we've been to two other shops and they don't want to do it just black. And uh, I said, well, why wouldn't they? That's, that's better anyway, and it's cheaper. And so, uh, so that's how I got turned on to him because he started bringing guys to me. He would draw things on them and then bring him, bring him in there. And he had a homemade rig that had broke and he did, it was shocking him and he didn't like it. So he started bringing them to me because he was impressed with my abilities. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, eventually I, I was cleaning up after him and his friend left and I, um, I, I looked at the uh, cardboard that he left laying on the chair, which was a pretty good size piece of uh, cardboard off of an old carton, I guess. And he had taken a ballpoint pen and he drew all over it while he was waiting on his friend. And he had like, I don't know, several styles of uh, cholo writing and uh, some serious script and some a lot of cartooning and a, a little taste of seriousness on one side. I thought, wow, this cat's really got talent, I think. And he's got something to offer the world. So, yeah. so I told him the next time I saw him, uh, I said, if you, if you give me your mama or your grandma's phone number, someone who will always know where you are when the day is right, 
I'll break you in. And he says, really? And I go, yeah. But if you ever even ask me once, when are we going to get started? It's off. And he said, okay, man. So he never asked me. Uh, and about, oh, uh, maybe a year later, I found the perfect spot. And man, I told him I was going to open in East LA. And he, he totally agreed that was a good idea. And he said, I've been thinking that myself, you know, for a while now. Well, I had been thinking it for a couple or three years for sure and was determined to do it, you know, but I couldn't find the right spot. And so when I did, though, after about a year of driving every Sunday and checking out the boulevard, I finally found the right spot. And uh, and he ended up, uh, I called him up and he said, perfect timing, man. And uh, so that was that was the beginning of his history, and he's he's made an impact on the world uh, ever since, um, and made me proud. That's for sure. And so I had him as uh, my first apprentice, and then I only had two others uh, besides my kids, and that and I have three kids, and all of them learned to tattoo, but only one of them. Uh, has remained in the business. And uh, so I actually had, I guess what one would say in all my 66 years of tattooing, I've had six people I've taught anything about tattoos and three of them were my own uh, family. <laughs> and the other, the other two were uh, Jack Rudy, I mean, the other two besides Jack were uh, Creeper, whose real name was Mike Espinosa. And uh, he worked for me in East LA there. And then uh, my son-in-law, Trevor Dalton. Uh, so those were the only three that I taught anything. And I, and I, had, and I had none of them scrubbing toilets and all that bullshit that old-timers talk about right none of them did that i didn't have him i thought they're not learning to be janitors for god's sake you exactly, know they're learning yeah. a craft a craft you know and i remember when i started my uh, my son-in-law at the time uh i had another guy working there who says well charlie this is just bullshit you're you know, you, you, you're you're letting this guy tattoo, and uh, he says, as an as an apprentice, at this point in time, he says, I had, when I was in his stage of the game, I had to go out and do crimes, and I said, well, I'm not teaching him to be a criminal. I'm teaching, teaching, trying to teach him to be a, a, gra a good craftsman. You know, right? Exactly. You got to teach him the craft if you want him to be a part of it. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so I just, I didn't have any of that foolishness involved with a lot of uh, so-called apprenticeships, you know. <laughs> and I never charged any of them money, not one. Uh, they were just part of the operation for as long as they were, you know. Yeah. They were just contributing to the operation. So, Yeah. So that's another thing I, I've never understood about people that want to constantly apprentice people. 
And uh, I, I used to think, well, you're just bringing in people in, into the business. You're giving them bullets to shoot you right back with. All these locals that you teach to tattoo, they're just going to open up with, uh, on you. And, right. you know, so I never understood that either, you know. Constant apprenticeships, you know, in progress. No. And, and in fact, I did not one of them. Uh, well, I approached, I approached uh, Jack and Creeper both. But, and my, and my kids, I approached all of them, but my son-in-law, he's the only one that approached me. And I ran him off for several years before I finally took him on. But I think you should approach the people and, and uh, recognize their talent and elevate their talent uh, on a personal level because you see the potential. That's how I think it's better than running around showing people your portfolio. And I mean, if people know you or, or get acquainted with you to, uh, on a, you know, a miniature level, maybe even, uh, they, they can see or understand the potential, I think, that you might present. So I think you just make, you just make a better person to represent the, represent the industry if you're chosen. Right all about kind of getting that respect from everyone else seeing that like you are um in it for the right reasons say it again it's like yeah I'm just trying to make sure that everyone's who's doing it is in it for the right reasons oh yeah exactly yeah yeah because uh, that separates the sheep from the goats right there when right. you when you pick them you know so yeah, so that's another another uh, thing, apprenticeship, that I just find almost a, a, a mockery anymore. I mean, uh, uh, I realize there's things that can be taught you, but not it's not the old traditional thing. Like I said, you, a person that wants to learn this business can learn on his own with no help, outside help whatsoever, and plenty of them do. But you do, like, you still benefit. It would benefit you, just like Zeke said, to work with other people, to to glean some kind of something from them, you know? Right. There's only so much that you can learn on your own. Yeah. Even though you have a cool operation and, uh, and lots of clients, and everybody loves you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, nonetheless... It behooves each one of us to, I think, uh, consider the fact that, you know, this is this is your baby and and you got to rock it. And, and however you, well, you can make it or break it in this business very easily just by, uh, it's, all, it's all a people thing, you know? Yeah. And, and so if you can relate to the guy and, uh, well, you know, it, like I used to tell them, I've had guys come back and say, well, you know, I wanted to talk to you, Charlie, but I don't have any money to, today. And I said, well, you don't need money to talk to me, you know. And so then I ended up, you know, over time, uh, I think everybody has to 
come to the realization that you're actually like a medicine man in this business. Um, if you've got good medicine, they're going to keep coming. And uh, it's not only the good tattoo, but it's the relationship itself. And, and so that's why people used to say, I don't, I can't, don't have any money today. And, and I tell them, you don't need money to talk to me. And I've I became their, uh, their counselor, their babysitter, their, you know, uh, right, yeah. uh, and, and, and their, their confidant and so forth. And, uh, I've, you can't believe some of the things I've been approached, uh, you know, to do or participate in because they've been watching me and they learned how I was and realized that, you know, like, oh, man, I could go on and on with things that are just completely mind blowing that people have asked me to do because I've studied you and I know how you are. And you're 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 the guy that, you know. <laughs> uh we need and so forth and i well i i think it all comes back down to your own personality too entering the the picture how how well you're received like i said if you're a good medicine man and um you're gonna they're gonna keep coming to you and and maybe it's just on a personal level that they want to discuss because they they respect your opinion and not that you're God or anything, but that somehow or another they believe in what you're all about and they, and they trust you to give them the, the little, you know, relevant advice. And so, uh, so sometimes I've had to, you know, literally uh, take them home and stuff like that, you know, when they were in no condition to, to go anywhere you know they were so loaded or overdosed or something right. and and uh, i've had to end up driving them home and stuff and so you're you're their caretakers in, in a way too you know after yeah. a while and so people don't realize you become more than just a craftsman uh, and, and and an artist you become many different things if you're a a, a shop tattooer you know uh, now, if you're if you're a, a traveling Jones that's just all over the world, guest artisting here and there, you never develop all those personal, uh, long-term relationships with clients. You know how can how well can you know somebody that you tattooed every every yearly convention in Berlin or something? You know, right? Exactly. And you, you know you've you've been with them three hours or four hours or six hours that day. And then, you know, you're, you're not going to develop a, uh, the types of relationship that you would get when you tattoo somebody every month or, you know, every three months or something. Yeah. So that's just another aspect of traveling tattooers that they, they're escaping all those personal involvements with, with people. And uh, which isn't, you know, it's just another different lifestyle, you know, and that's another aspect of my life. I never did quite get, because uh, back in the day when I would attend whatever conventions there were, I would never tattoo at those conventions because I worked my butt off in my shop, 
And so I went to those conventions to play. And so I never did understand tattooing away from your own shop. Then people are, all of a sudden people are just all over the world from shop to shop to shop and and, uh, wondering why I didn't, wasn't interested in that. Well, I'm not one interested in that at all. And so I never did really entertain a lot of guest artists either. You know, I said, no, I think you should stay in your own shop and, and tattoo. That's what it's all about, in my opinion. And so, so I had very, I did have some foreign guys and other guys work for me that came from different areas, but, but, uh, but they, there was very little real guest artisting, I would say, in my, in my shop because why would I make room for somebody from somewhere else when my own guys are wanting to make their bread and butter, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't going to fill the shop up with a bunch of foreigners that, you know, scoop the cream off the top and then danced out the door, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah so that was just another thing about guest artisting that i never did quite get and I, not to say i did put on a few tattoos outside of my shop not very many though uh, uh and actually at one convention i i remember i was leaving in the process of walking out of the lobby even and uh and a girl grabs me and says, so you've got to tattoo my, my leg. I've uh, got all my signatures of my fi- you know, favorite people on there. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm leaving right now. She said, well, we can do it right here. And I go, are you kidding? And, and she had two guys with her, and one of them had a little uh, battery-operated number and uh, that he was carrying around, and it was all loaded up and ready to go. And the other guy that was carrying the ink, and uh, and and I said, "Well, okay, show me some leg." <laughs> and might <laughs> as well. She, she propped up her leg on a sofa there, and and I just dipped it and wrote my name on her leg. So I have done. I did that, and then another one told me at a convention, "I've been saving my my foot for you." Because I, you're the last one I need to collect for my slippers, my tattoo slippers, and so I put my name on her foot there. But it was very rare I ever tattooed at conventions. Although I, I do have to say, uh, and that was back in the day. Anymore, I, I'll do little bangers on them, but uh, no epic pieces. Thank you. I did enough of that in my day. Right. But I do have to say, I did go to a convention in Houston one time years ago, and uh, and I thought, well, you know, that's only so many so so many miles from Wichita when I lived in Kansas, and I thought, and and I and I read who was going to be there, and I thought, oh well, there's nobody that's going to be worth their salt that's going to even be at that convention. It just there was two guys that putting it on that nobody liked at the time and uh and i thought i bet i'll if i go i bet i'll be the only legitimate tattooer there besides these these carny get over guys and uh so maybe i'll go so i rented a van and took my 
sign and and a bunch of equipment and stuff down there. And this was so weird because I got set up and back to back, I was on the end of a, of a line of booths and, and back to back to me was a guy whose name I, I don't even know to this day, but I'll thank forever because as soon as I got set up, some guy walks up and says, uh, well, I got a $150 for you for a surprise. And I said, what do you mean? You're going to surprise me with $150? <laughs> and he says, well, I want a surprise tattoo. And I go, oh, yeah? And he said, yeah, the guy, he said, I was going to get a tattoo from the guy behind you. But, but he said, no, you should go get a tattoo from that guy because he never tattoos publicly like that and uh and he's a well-known guy so you should go get a tattoo from him and he says and just tell him how much you can spend and tell him to surprise you and he said okay so he said so here i am and i said all right <laughs> so i did that and, and before i even finished there was another guy standing there and he says can you do a hundred dollar surprise for me and i said I think so. <laughs> and so it just, that guy kept sending me business all the time I was there. And I just, well, I was busy because of some guy I don't even know who kept sending me people. And so that was an amazing thing in and of itself. But that was the only convention back in the day where I ever set up, you know, a whole booth. Um, Anyway, uh, in recent times, I've done a few out here in the Bay Area, uh, but very few. Uh, and I've done a, a couple in Reno and so forth, but I, I don't really uh, have a full-blown tattoo operation anymore because I've closed my shop. And like I said, I'll tattoo the people at the conventions. Uh, just with a, a little GTC, and uh, that's good enough, you know. Yeah. After all these years, not interested in, you know, laying on my side and standing upside down trying to right. figure out how to how to decorate someone's body anymore. Yeah. Well, can you also tell us a bit about um, your tattoo heritage project that you got going on? Yes, I would. Um, in fact, I, got, I made a couple notes here about um, Long Beach is the port of Los Angeles. And in 1959, California had the Navy in San Diego, Long Beach, and San Francisco. So the whole West Coast of California was known for tattooing. But at that time, they said there were a half million sailors, 500,000 around the Long Beach area in San Pedro and Terminal Island. And so there was a great history of tattooing in this area. Uh, and as you, as you have witnessed, not only military, but merchant Marines as well coming up from South America. So I witnessed all of that uh, back when I was working at the Pike. Um, you had 
you know, like I said, merchant mariners as well as military sailors. And uh, with tattooing as popular as it has become worldwide, it only makes sense to celebrate the sensation by giving tattooing a location to not only showcase local SoCal tattoo artists, but hopefully tattooers worldwide as well as national. This would benefit the community as a tourist attraction and also increase the awareness of Carrie's shop, which is the old Burt Graham's oldest shop, second oldest shop in America, uh, 19, uh, uh, 1902, I think. I believe it's been a, a tattoo shop. Uh, early, anyway, real early in the century. And also Tricia Allen's Pollination Museum there, which is quite uh, uh, representative of that uh, genre. And last of all, uh, I'm looking forward to the day when we have a nationally recognized tattoo museum. It's uh, it's not only, uh, like I said, the headquarters for many well-known tattooers through the years, but um, it's the tourist attraction for, it's known for lots of other things. And right now they're redeveloping whole areas of the city, trying to bring back uh, to re, uh, like art centers and so forth. And so we've met with the city already uh, just yesterday, in fact, we had a, a meeting with uh, several board people that were considered, well, on, some on the board and some are outsiders that are uh, economic development people and real estate people connected with the city of Long Beach and uh, construction people too. And so we're having this big powwow about how to really get rolling. And uh, so the mayor uh, of Long Beach even said, well, I, I really like this project, let's get it going. And so uh, let's, let's get it done, he said. And so, uh, so they're looking, they're trying to help us find the right location even to really spotlight the industry, you know, on, yeah. a, on a big basis. And we don't want just, I mean, there's totally, I suspect maybe, possibly hundreds now of little museum type operations around local tattoo shops, but there's no place nationally known as the place to go for tattoo museum history. Right. And uh, so we want to have that. And, uh, and I think we can, I mean, come on, look how many tattooers are in the world now. And if all ever tattooer that ever hears my voice, I mean everyone that hears my voice, I don't know how many that would be, but if they all just sent, uh, well, if every tattooer in the world sent ten dollars, there'd be no problem having a magnificent, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we still we're gonna get a GoFundMe. Uh, or a fundraiser of some sort established again after the first of the year. We started one that did, was there was a lot of confusion about um, handling of the money, and I don't want no, I don't want any 
question about that. It's a nonprofit organization, and I want it to be structured properly. So we're gonna gonna reestablish uh, something after the first after the holidays is over, and we'll publish it uh, so people will know how to contribute and uh, so forth. But it it should be uh, it should be a I believe representative of of most all of America, I mean, everybody in the U.S. can benefit from this as a destination for, you know, a holiday or something. And and, uh, and we and it's really going to be uh, more than just a, a, a on-site exhibit type thing, because we're going to we're start going to have a thing called docu series that documents. Um, well, it'll be anything and everything that could be, uh, I guess, benefited from watching these uh, because it's going to be people, I guess, like you that are interviewing people that have they have an interest or respect for and, uh, and maybe sometimes their own tutors in the business. They want to, you know, tell their story and so forth. And then but it could be just something like uh, a known tattooer that knows 30 real funny stories even, you know, that are tattoo related. So yeah. it's going to be a great series uh, that will be never ending. So supposedly with the, the thousands of tattooers that are out there and they've all got different stories. So, yeah. And like you're doing right now, you know, you're doing, you're, you're doing the same thing. That will be another part of the museum. You know, visitors coming and going can can uh, sit down in a private room and watch it. Push a button and watch anybody, any tattooer, tell tell a story or present a little, you know, their own little uh, presentation on film or by some kind of equipment. I don't know all about it, but. It could be uh, be quite educational as well uh, as info, you know, uh, informational and on many different levels. And I just really want to have uh, a, a, as as complete an understanding about tattooing as we can. Uh, there's a, I guess, tattoo uh, anthropologists and so forth we can talk to about you know, some of the uh, the early designs on some of the, not just the American Indians, but primitive man uh, and, and how it could have occurred, you know, what tools might've been used and so forth. And, and right on up to, you know, the, not only the past, but looking into the future with tattooing. So I think that's another, uh, aspect of it too that it, it can be a never-ending thing you know an ongoing deal and i i envision really uh more than just the museum itself uh we of course we want to have a restaurant there and so forth as well for social activity and and further fundraising for the to support the museum uh, and we want professional people. Uh, we've got professional museum people already 
that we've worked with in Los Angeles there at the Natural History Museum uh, that are interested in the project as well. And so, uh, and we all, we did a, uh, an exhibit in Long Beach before uh, at the at MOLA, the Museum of Latin American Art. And so um, we've had a little bit of experience now with museum people. And, uh, and so some of them are willing to work with us and want it, and want it to happen, actually. And so three, three of the staff that the, from the Museum of Natural History after the exhibit that we did there that lasted, I don't know, three months or six months sometime. Anyway, when it was over, the, all three of them came up and I tattooed all of them. And we discussed uh, the idea of starting a museum for the Los Angeles area. And I said, well, you know, why, why not Long Beach? Because it's the port of Los Angeles. And so they, anyway, they all, they all kind of got the, the agreement that yeah that would be great and so now we're just looking for worldwide support now uh to see it happen and you know i think most americans would be glad to have a place to go to view this because there's nothing i i'm not sure what the smithsonian institute has but it's more than just i'm sure it's uh, probably got something there i've never visited it and feel the same that I haven't, but because uh, I'm interested in and looking at all their Native American stuff. Uh, but one guy told me it takes a couple of weeks to really do it right to view everything that's there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, I I'm not saying this would be on that level, but we want it to be a nationally recognized place. That that's where you go. The Long Beach to that museum. You know? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea to get that going up too. Because I was just recently at Carrie's shop a couple of weeks ago, and you know they've got the little um, the little museum section that they've got there. And even just looking through that, it was you know it was amazing to just kind of step back and see like where it all came from and you know how it's evolved. Yeah, well, you know that's another another uh, good reason I think to have one there. It, it would also support her or help support her shop or. They, it would be a benefit, a mutual benefit for each other. Right. You know, because the people that come to the museum would want to go see Burt Grimm shop. Also, well, Carrie Barber shop now, but, uh, but because of the, you know, the history of it. And, um, and that's another thing we've discussed whether or not to have tattooing on the site, on the museum, it's, you have guest artists from all over the world working at the museum, but rather than maybe dealing with health departments and and uh, inspectors and licensing from all these foreign guys, maybe it just would be best to send everybody over to carry shop because any tattooer would be honored to work in that shop because of right. the history. And uh, but we can't. She's on the board, so we can't really have conflict. We can't have her benefiting financially, and so we'll, we'll figure it all out. Uh, I know one guy told me he's real hip on the 
an excellent businessman. He said, well, here's the thing. What you need to do is just, just tell him that the, the tattoo is an exhibit and an exhibition of how tattooing is done. And, uh, and then the, the, the recipient can just make a contribution to the museum that represents the cost of the tattoo. Right. <laughs> make a donation. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. It'll, it'll all work out somehow. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with it. Yeah, and and Carrie and uh, she's all on board with it, of course, for sure, and uh, and willing to help. Well, I say she could be against it, even you know, uh, from the beginning. I didn't know, but I wanted her out of respect. I asked her if she wanted to be on the board because she's familiar with all those people, you know, a lot of them in the city and so forth, and so. Anyway, I'm glad she's aboard, and uh, and I think we've got a pretty good bunch that represent the the board. And we're talking about maybe expanding it a little bit more to involve uh, a, a little more opportunity for development from different aspects. You know, different people that have different connections and stuff. And so we. We don't know exactly how it's all going to end up yet, but we got we got some competent individuals certainly working on it now, trying to make it happen. So I believe it will, and I believe it can be a worldwide destination with, you know, with the right uh, presentation and so forth. I mean, there's enough there's enough money out there. You just got to find it. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, well, on some closing notes, then, you know, what, if you just had one piece of advice to give to everyone that's in the next generation, you know, trying to make it in this industry, what would you say to them? Well, I would say good luck uh, <laughs> because uh, the competition is pretty fierce, but but it seems to be that no matter what your style is or your uh, your operation even consists of, in terms of uh, convenience and all that, it just seems like no matter what you, you got going, you've got takers now. So I, I believe that everybody's is going to make it that, that has uh, anything to offer at all. It seems like you can get by. I, mean, I can't, I can't believe some of the operations that exist, but, but it seems like the more, the more you're exposed to what I would consider inferior tattooing, the more you're seeing highly developed art skills come along too. They're not, they're not all just slackers out there. There's plenty of real bona fide, excellent artists coming into this business and Absolutely. they treat it with respect and so forth. So I'm happy about that because uh, I'm glad that they, the ones that I, who are actually performing in amazing ways are contributing uh, that much, you know, uh, to, to keep the industry as, uh, well, I, I don't know, legit, I guess you'd say, as, as possible. Because these people that are just in it to burn the next guy for a couple hundred bucks, to, you know, uh, make another drug deal or something well 
they're not going to last anyway yeah. uh, and may have a lasting impact on the business. Uh, they're just a, you know, a flash in the pan, you might say. Uh, but anyway, the people that are interested, if there's have a serious bone in their body, there's no reason why they can't make an excellent living in tattooing these days. Uh, if you're a respectable individual and, and just know how to treat your human, uh, your fellow hum human with any kind of uh, respect and uh, dignity at all and, and, and care about him maybe being a, a future customer, well, there's no reason why you can't make it uh, anymore. I, and, but I, I remember Mike Malone used to tell him, as soon as they would ask him, so what advice would you give a, a young guy looking out to, to make a living in tattooing? He says, learn neon. <laughs> <laughs> Forget tattooing. There's too many already. He says, nobody does neon. Learn neon. You know, yeah. that's an art form, you know, and uh, and I know several. In fact, I myself, I guess, have said, uh, well, you need to learn something else because everybody else is learning to tattoo or wanting to tattoo. Oh, my wife's not getting the phone here. Got it ringing, but... Um, well, anyway, I got disrupted there. I forget what I was saying now. Okay. Where was I going with that? Um, just where wherever you could take it. Um, new people coming in. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, the ones that are destined to make it will make it because you'd have to be a you'd have to be quite incompetent not to figure out how to make a living tattooing today. So if you got anything on the ball, you're going to figure it out and do okay. All right. Providing that you're, you know, on the up and up with people. That's, that's what I was saying, you know. Yeah. The right, right individual, right-minded individual will do well if he's uh, given good medicine. Yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk, Charlie. It's been, it's been great. And uh, let's see the, uh, what is tattooheritage.com. Uh, I think, I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, tattooheritage.org. That's where you go to uh, eventually check out the, well, I think you can check out something now on the, on the website for sure about the museum and uh and so that would there's a lot of information there as well if you just go to our website yeah and i'll be sure to plug it um in the description of this as well so everyone can easily find it okay great, All right, great well, well kyle <laughs> well kyle you, you, i wish you well on your success in life thank uh, you <laughs> Yeah, uh, and how long have you been? Eight months now you've been involved in this? 
Yeah, I've been with um, Gabe and Guy doing this kind of work for about eight months. Um, for like the past two years, I've been seriously just working on my art skills, trying to get that going. Yeah. Well, I hope you have uh, many more years uh, of uh, fruit that you bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, well, uh, nice talking with you. Appreciate the time. Yeah, likewise. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So, fairly well down the road. Alrighty. Thank you.